If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4? We're going to read just one verse there. I know time is moving on very quickly, but 1 Timothy chapter 4 and one verse. If you would stand and we'll read this verse audibly together. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Amen. Praise the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Once you're there, if you would stand and then we'll all read this verse together. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's all read it together. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Father, this morning we pray that the Spirit of God would speak into our hearts Lord, we know that you're speaking to your people in these days, and we ask, give us ears to hear. Lord, we pray for your anointing in this house, an anointing upon your word, anointing both to preach and to hear your word. Lord, shut us in with yourself, every distraction, we pray it would be taken away. And Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would speak. Oh God, we have just read that the Spirit speaketh expressly. Lord, we want to hear the distinct voice of the Holy Ghost. Lord, every other voice to be silenced. Lord, we pray that every opinion would be put down. Lord, we pray, O God, as we humble our hearts before you, Lord, that we would hear your word. And Lord, that your word would have effect in us and through us. We ask all these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our seats together. This morning, just over these next couple of weeks, the Lord has put some uh, messages uh, just on my heart to bring. I believe all these messages are the Lord preparing us, showing us, revealing to us through His Word the times in which we're living in. This message this morning is entitled The Spirit of Manasseh in Ireland. The Spirit of Manasseh in Ireland, it's not just in Ireland. the spirit of wickedness and the Antichrist does not know borders or county lines. It is simply the spirit of wickedness that is spreading across, particularly uh, the Western church in these days. And we want to look at uh, a time when there was a king called Manasseh. He was most likely the most wicked king that ever lived in the Old Testament. And When I speak of the spirit of Manasseh, I have no revelation that there is a spirit particularly called Manasseh, but I want to refer to the sins of Manasseh and the spirit that was at work at that time. We have just read that the Bible clearly teaches us that the spirit of God, speaking expressly and concerning the days that we come to, that many will depart from the faith and they will give heed to seducing seductive spirits and doctrines of devils. So we know there's a spiritual uh, conflict that we are wrestling against. But in the last days, there will be seductive spirits and doctrines of devils that will cause many to depart from the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This man, Manasseh, was most likely, as I said, the most wicked queen in Judah than all the others. And under his leadership... And I believe it's right that we pray for political leaders and leaders of the nation. But under the leadership of Manasseh, God's people were led into the greatest wickedness, more even than the pagan nations that Joshua had destroyed. We know that in the last days that the rise of wickedness will come, iniquity will increase, men will wax worse. And I want to show you from the scriptures that the sins of Manasseh and the spirit of Manasseh is very much the prominent spirit that is working in our nation across this island, across these islands, and I believe across most of the Western world and even uh, beyond that. What is notable about Manasseh is that Manasseh had a godly father. His father was Hezekiah. And it's quite a remarkable thing that we see a generation change from one generation to the next generation. One generation experienced under Hezekiah, you would say a great reformation, also a great reviving as, as Hezekiah acted uh, on the word of the Lord and he cut down the groves, he broke the images, he removed the high places, he broke the 
the, the brazen serpent that they'd come to worship. The Bible says of Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. The Bible says that he cleaved to the Lord and he departed not from following the Lord. And he kept the commandments of the Lord. He walked in the way of the Lord. There was a renewal, if you like, a revival, a reformation at that time in Judah, in the southern kingdom. You know, just for those who maybe don't know, I know most people will, but just for us to understand it, that we had the kingdom, we had Saul, then with David, then with Solomon, then the kingdom was split between the northern and the southern kingdoms. And then you had the kings of Israel, and then you had the kings of Judah. That was the southern kingdom where Jerusalem was, and Manasseh was one of the kings of Judah in the southern kingdom. When you read the book of Kings, and we're going to turn there if you want to make your way over to Second Kings chapter 21, you'll find often at the beginning of a lot of the chapters that references the king's name. And the next thing the Bible will tell is that he either done good in the sight of the Lord or he done evil in the sight of the Lord. And then they would, they would list the scripture, then would open up the scripture and tell us and categorize the things that they did, whether they be good that glorified the Lord or whether they be evil. So keeping in mind that uh, Manasseh had a godly father, but in Second Kings chapter 21, we read there in the opening of the chapter, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign. Now, I want you to just remember the fact that he was 12 when he began to reign. We'll come to that through the message this morning. He reigned 55 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Hephzibah. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. God had specifically instructed Israel. Israel was a nation that were to solely worship the one and the true and the living God. And so God had explicitly instructed Israel that they are to worship him and worship him alone. In Exodus, if you just hold it at, at 2 Kings, but I'll refer to some scriptures in Exodus 34, the Lord had said to Israel, Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you go, lest they become a snare for you in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, you shall break their images, you shall cut down their groves. We're going to come to groves soon. But thou shalt worship no other god. That's what God said to Israel, For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. I want my people to worship me and worship me alone. I will have no other gods before me. God's desire is that his people, whether it be Israel or whether it be us in the new covenant, that we would worship the Lord and worship him alone. He does not want to share us with anybody else. We are his. We have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We are bought with the price. We are not our own. We are God's people and God's children and God wants us to worship him and worship him alone. He will not share his life with anyone else. He wants us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus said to the devil in Matthew 4 and 10, I shall worship the Lord thy God and him only will you serve. He wants us to serve him alone. In 2 Corinthians, Paul brings some teaching so the Teaching of this is consistent through the scripture, bringing us the revelation of the one and the true and the living God that he requires of his people to worship him and to worship him alone. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 6, he says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Where what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? What concord or agreement, that is, has Christ with Belial? Or what hath he that believeth with an infidel? Or what agreement hath the temple of the Lord with idols? And what is or who is the temple of the Lord? For ye are the temple of the living God. I don't want to share your life with anyone else. God wants you. He wants your life. He wants you. You're his temple. He does not want you to be worshipping other gods or have other idols in your life. He wants you to worship him and worship him alone. And he says, if you worship me, I will dwell in you. I will walk in you. I will be your God and you will be my people. 
We see the consistency of Scripture, whether it be in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, that God requires of his people that we worship him and we worship him alone. I will have no other gods before me. We serve, thank God, the one and the true and the living God. There is none beside him. There is none like him. He is the one, the true, and the almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we are his people. We are his temple. And he says, I want you to serve me and serve me alone. Manasseh, of course, was the one that was responsible for bringing in the sins of the other nations, the abominations, as the Bible says. Second Kings chapter 21, verse 3. That's then look at Manasseh. He built up again the high places, verse 3, which Hezekiah, his father, had destroyed. So what we see in the past generation, the generation before, where there was reformation, renewal, revival, there was a sense of, of godliness amongst his father and his people as the father led the nation. He'd done the opposite to what his father had done. So what his father had done, he built the high places up again. He reared up the altars for Baal, and he made a grove. Remember the word grove, as did Ahab, king of Israel. Now Ahab, and we'll come to it in a moment just so that you know, remember, the kingdom is divided. There's the southern kingdom, there's the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom being Israel, the southern kingdom being Judah. But Ahab, way, beyond, way back in, in the generations, was that king who had a wife called Jezebel. And so the Bible specifically references Ahab, who was the king of Israel, the northern kingdom, and his activity. So Manasseh took up the mantle, if you like, of Ahab and Jezebel. We'll come to it in a moment. And they worshipped all the host of heaven, and they served them, and they built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, I will put my name there. He built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He made his son pass through the fire. He observed times. He used enchantments. He dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. He brought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke the Lord to anger. He set a graven image of the grove that he had made right in the house of the Lord, the place where the Lord would put his name Manasseh brought in the grove and the, and the idol right into the house of God. And he said, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. Verse 9 of the chapter says, when the Lord pleaded. Now, God had his people. He always has a voice. They are known as prophets. And they come. And if you ever get a time, I, I keep one just in the front of your, the desktop on the computer. So just to reference it, I love to see the chronological order of these events. So if you can, you can get it very easily, you can see the kingdoms, you can see the kings, the two kingdoms and the kings that run up beside each other. And then if you get a good image, what you can find is you can see where all the prophets slot in. So where the prophets were raised up and they would come and they would begin to bring the word of the Lord either to the southern kingdom or the northern kingdom. So then you can tie in, and we will look at this next week, what was the message of that hour? What was God saying to the people that were turning from him, serving other gods? But you see, as the prophets came, and not all of them are mentioned in Scripture because there were many prophets that God would have sent and they would bring the word of the Lord. But when the prophets came, it says in verse 9, but they hearkened not. They did not listen to the word of the Lord. They did not listen to what God was saying. Even though messengers came, even though preachers came, as it were, and preached the truth and preached the gospel and give the warning and give what was going to happen, they did not listen. They did not listen to the word of the Lord. And it says there that Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. What do we read this morning in 1 Timothy chapter 4? That the Spirit distinctly is speaking in the latter times that some will depart from the faith. What will they give heed to? Listen very carefully because the seductive spirit that I'm speaking about is a seductive spirit that is operating in this congregation. I want you to hear me again very carefully because 
I know the Lord has given me this word. The Spirit distinctly or expressly says that those who have been brought up in the faith will be seduced by spirits. They will depart from the faith. They'll be seducing spirits that will cause them to depart from the faith and to believe the doctrines of devils. Lies. I want you to listen carefully this morning. I know it's a sober message. It was a very heavy message to receive it and a very heavy message to pray through on it. There's a weight about this message. I'm not saying that to elevate me in any way, but there's a weightiness about a message when you begin to deal with the powers of darkness that come. And so I want your attention. I want you to get your focus. I want you to hear. I want you to waken up. I don't want you to fall asleep. I don't want you yawning. I don't want you to think about tomorrow or what you're going to do later. I need you to listen this morning, not because of me, because I want your attention, but because God is speaking like he did with Israel, but they did not hearken to the voice of the Lord. And God sent messengers because he's merciful. He's a merciful God. We've sung about the faithfulness of God and the mercy of God, and we're so prone to wonder, but he's prone to chase after us. Because he's a God that loves us. But the seductive spirit that is working in the last days, that is working not just in this church, but is working in the church of Jesus Christ, the specific reason that there's a seductive spirit is to cause men and women to depart from the faith. That's what it's referring to. Paul is writing not about the world. He's writing to the church of Jesus Christ. He's writing to those that are in the faith, those that are part of the faith, those that know about the faith, those that have been brought up in the faith. And there's a seductive spirit. This is what the spirit expressly says. It's distinct in its voice. That word expressly means distinctly says that many will depart from the faith because of seductive spirits and doctrines of devils. Lies that come from the enemy, seducing people away from the faith that was once delivered. That's why we're told in Jude, as believers, we're to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. And so they hearken not. They would not listen, even though God would be merciful and send messengers because Manasseh, and this is the spirit of Manasseh, his seductive power was so great. He seduced them into doing more evil even than the nations that the Lord had destroyed uh, before the children of Israel. They plummeted even those. Like Manasseh was brought up in a godly home. Manasseh was brought up with a father who's seen revival, a reformation, a renewal. God had blessed greatly, but Manasseh was the most wicked king. Can you even begin to fathom? How could this possibly be? seductive powers, seductive spirits, believe in the lies of the enemy, doctrines of devils in the house of God. In chapter 21 and verse 16, it says, Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much. Listen to what he did. Till he filled Jerusalem for one end of another. Beside his sin wherewith he made Judah to sin and doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. Now I want to take a couple of moments if you could listen very carefully. I know it's, it's a sobering message, but I believe we need to be very real where we are. And I want to take an oversight just very quickly of the sins that were committed each one could easily be a study. I understand that. And there might be different ideas or perceptions concerning these things. But I just want to take a moment to give you an oversight of what we've just read. In the Old Testament, there were structures that were raised up. They were called the high places. They became places where they would go and they would worship foreign gods. I want to make it very clear this morning. I'm not trying to look under chairs or behind settees or round cushions for demons. You know, very simply, it's not about the physical because our battle is a spiritual one. And so the Lord would send prophets like Isaiah and he would say, Seek you the Lord while he may be found. 
You have your idols in your home. You have your idols in your heart. You have other gods that you're worshiping. But it's not the physical. What Isaiah is pleading with the people is seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. He'll have mercy upon him and to our God because he will abundantly pardon. Wherever you are, whatever sin that you're in, whatever darkness you believe, whatever doctrine of devil you've adhered to, if you turn and seek the Lord, he'll pardon you. What he's saying, there's mercy wherever you are. But they would raise up these places that they would go and worship other gods. Idolatry. Could I tell you, friends, that our nation is filled with idolatry. You know, I've been to India, I've been to Nepal, I've been to Bhutan, those nations. And India particularly that has filled Hinduism as an idolatrous religion. And it is filled with idolatry. But I want to tell you something, friends. Ireland is filled with idolatry. We may not make stones and bow down before them, but we have idols in our homes, we have idols in our hearts, we have idols in our workplaces, we have idols everywhere. And they created these altars to Baal, the nature of their fertility God, the worship of the, of the creation that God has created. They worship, they worship. You know, I heard one of the leading men say that it is better for our planet that mankind is not here. We are damaging our planet. That, that, that the animal kingdom, that the plant kingdom is more important than humankind. Listen to me, friends, this morning. In the creation of God, that man was the, the very apple of his eye. He is the crown. He's the crown and jewel in the creation of God. But men and education and science is bringing man down to nothing more than an animal. Evolution has, has infiltrated into the education system and into the world in which we live and in every aspect. How many times when you hear we find some bone somewhere and it's 50 billion years old? It's a doctrine of devils. It's not just that I give a presentation on creation. I thank God for men that are more than able to do that, friends. But in six days, God created the earth. We come to a time when God is going to give up He's not giving up on man, but he's going to give people over. Romans 1 tells us that God gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. The seductive spirit will draw men away because of the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves. They'll change the truth. They'll change the truth. Listen, are we living in this age? They'll change the truth of God into a lie. And worship and serve the creature more than the creator. That's the hour we've come to. There was the worship of the host of heaven. Sabiism. The worship of the stars. The zodiac. What star are you? I'm no star. I'm not into that rubbish. That's demonic. It's devilish. If you're in that practice of looking up your stars to see what they say or what's happening in your life, you're dabbling in the demonic. Listen to me, friends. I know this is out of date by many, even in the church of Jesus Christ. But this is demonic activity. There was the altars in the house of the Lord, the sacrifice of children. Friends, there was a tragedy, a shocking tragedy on our news just within the last couple of weeks of a, of a mother that killed her own eight-week-old baby. Did you hear it on the news? It's shocking. But the politicians that are coming out and saying this is devastating news are the same politicians. Listen carefully. They're the same politicians that if that baby had been murdered by her mother one week before it was born, they were saying that's a woman's right. That's a woman's right. That's not rights, friends. That's murder. They are about to flood our nation. And they already have in the south of Ireland. But they're about to flood our nation with innocent blood. Just like Manasseh. That Jerusalem was filled with innocent blood. They observed the times. The magicians and the clouds and the enchantments. The charms and the spells. Friends, I'm not talking about just some picture of some woman on a lamppost. That has big earrings and her face is heavily made up and... 
She's only three teeth and she's going to hold some tea leaf and thing. I'm, I'm talking about the powers of darkness. We get our charms, we get our bracelets, we wear all our things, we do our little superstitious things. I want to tell you, friends, it's the powers of darkness and hell. And familiar spirits and wizards, necromancy, going to find out about old Auntie Joe or Aunt Uncle Jimmy or something and going to speak to the dead. It's demonic and it's everywhere. You see, we think it's somewhere over there in some hotel room or some strange wee lady sitting in some old pokey caravan somewhere. Can I tell you something? Listen to me very carefully. This has now infiltrated our education system. Parents, listen. It's infiltrated the NHS. It's infiltrated nearly every walk of society. Two years ago, three years ago, there was a conference here it was called Free Your Mind. It was a conference by a charity that is now actively working in our education system with our children. You'll hear the term mindfulness. Anyone heard that term? Mindfulness. It's in most of the schools now. It's been introduced. Free Your Mind. They, they say, listen, Kurf, this is what they say. It is a form of meditation with its roots in Buddhism. That's in our education system. You know these reflection courtyards? All these areas of, areas of reflection that they create and build and build trees, groves. Let people go in and sit and meditate. Meditate on what? Mindfulness. It is roots in Buddhism. Can I tell you something? These people that say they stand up for the rights of children and the betterment of children... I would really love to take them on a flight right over into Bhutan, right up into one of those temples where I stood there with Gordon with Asia Link and see those boys that are given over into these temples with their heads shaved and their orange gowns sitting in a temple morning to night going through a mantra that they don't know what they're saying but is demonic, living in abusive squalor. I want to tell you, friends, but they want to promote that in our schools. And so we set up an image of a grove right in the house of the Lord. The question I'd ask, how could one born to such a godly father turn out to be so wicked? And I believe we can see it from Scripture. Hezekiah took sick. He was going to die. You know the story. Called out to the Lord. Lord, would you heal me? Would you extend my life? And the Lord answered his prayer and gave him 15 years because the Lord's a wonderful healer. He's a wonderful deliverer. You know what happens when we're sick, when the church is sick? You know, I often hear Bran pray that prayer, Lord, we're an intensive care unit. I believe we are. We're sick. But you know what happens when you're sick? What happens when you're physically sick? You're weak. Aren't you weak? The convictions that he possibly once had were just not as strong because he was sick, he was weakened. And then God healed him and we read the story. If you turn over to 2 Kings uh, chapter 20, 2 Kings 20, just to point it out to you because I believe this is part, I believe certainly part of the downfall that came in Manasseh. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 13, or verse 12 there, we see that Barodak Baladin, the son of Baladin, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present unto Hezekiah, for he had heard Hezekiah had been sick. I mean, there, there'd be a time there was, there was no way, you know, there'd be a time that Hezekiah, there's no way he'd, he'd entertain this. There's a time when the church would, wouldn't have entertained Half of what's going on in the church today. There's a time, there's no way it would happen, Richard. No way. We wouldn't tolerate that in the house of God. We wouldn't live that way. Not in a legalistic way, but they had convictions. There's things they believed in. Things they were moved by, not because of law, but because of conviction and love for Jesus. There's no way that would happen in the house of God. But the church took sick because of sin. 
and it's, it's convictions or it's standards, if you like. And I know you're not allowed to talk about standards because that's seen as legalism. But I, I believe God has a standard. He's a holy God. We're going to come to this in a moment, but verse 13 says, Hezekiah hearkened to them, showed them all the house of the precious things. Who's he showing the house of God to? He's showing the house of God to the king of Babylon. Come into our house and see what we have. You're welcome here. You can come. You don't have to repent. You don't have to get right with God. You don't have to get saved. You don't have to get born again. But we can invite you into our house and you can experience and see the great things that God has done. But you don't have to change. Why? Because it's a gospel with no cross. And so it says that he showed him the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious ointment, and all the house of his armor, and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Come and see it. I'll show you the secrets of the kingdom, the power of, of a living God in a life that he can change you, washing his own precious blood. But you can come in and you can be part of it, but you don't have to be different. You don't have to change. Look at what we are. I'll be part of that. God has extended his years by 15 years. Could I ask you a question just to see if you were listening? What age was Manasseh when he began to reign? 12, 12 years old. Praise the Lord, you're listening. 12. When was he born? He was born in the 15-year period that Hezekiah was given and extended at a time when he compromised his convictions and brought the king of Babylon into his house. And where did Manasseh learn or find out about that world? He found out from the king of Babylon. That's what I believe. He was enticed when he seen the king of Babylon coming into his house. Men of God in this house, may God, may we pray for one another that God gives us the grace to hold our convictions. May we hold our convictions. The persuasion, the influence, the seductive spirits are so tangible, so real. But may we never buy. Even in our weakness, even when we might feel a little bit under the weather, may we never say, Ach, what harm will it do? I would say we were able to, and God sent them down and brought into our midst the old saints, I think they'd be horrified. Not because they were legalists, but because they had a walk with God and they'd never compromise who they were. Why? Because they loved the Lord so much. See, when the church is weakened and sick, it makes compromises. And now she's not as strong as she once was. And that was the downfall of Israel. It was her compromise. She compromised on God's word. She compromised on her convictions. And so the king of Babylon was able to come in. And Hezekiah, it looks as if there were some form of pride that lifted up in his heart. Well, I've got another 15 years. Imagine if God actually said to you this morning, you have exactly 15 years left to live. Imagine if you knew, nobody knows they are. The Bible tells us it's appointed on the man wants to die, but not one of us know whether we have one day, five days, five years, 10 years, 15 years, or 50 years. But imagine Hezekiah was actually told that you have 15 years. What would you do with 15 years of your life if God, if you knew in 15 years you're going to die and you had 15 years left? What would you actually do with your life? What would you actually, what plans would you make you? 15 years, what are you going to do? Friends, I want to tell you something. Not one of us know if we've got 15 minutes. Hezekiah somehow in his heart and pride began to rise up. And he'd seen the great reformation, the great revival, the great building that God had blessed him with. And he said, come on into the house. Look at what we have done. Look at what we have had. We have. And this was the downfall of Israel. And I believe this produced a Manasseh. And what he'd done probably above everything that is so horrific. He sat a graven image of a grove right in the house of the Lord. The place where my name should be. Right in that place there was an image of a grove. 
The, the word grove, you'll find it 40 times in the Old Testament, 40 or 41 times. And it's translated into the word Asherah. She's a goddess that signifies happiness or prosperity. She's also known, this is blasphemous, by the way, as the mother God. She is also known as God's wife. She's the mother of God. She's the queen of heaven. You might be familiar or not, but a lot of these terms are being used, particularly amongst the pride community. Let me tell you something. The spirit of Manasseh is very much alive and well and operative in our nation. But these groves are just something very simple and I just it's just a it's just an unease, it's something that I'm uncomfortable with, but you see it so often. You drive up to the top of the Malone Road, you drive around the big Malone roundabout, and what they have is oak structures. What are they? The second phase of the great work that they've done in Hillsborough, we found out the other day, I was walking around with Andy Gray early in the morning, we found out that the next stage is they're going to put all these gobbledygook creatures all over the place. What's all that about? You can hear the birds, see the swans, see the creation. What a beautiful place to walk in. Now they're going to have all these things from the arts. From the arts. Be careful with the arts, folks. Be careful. Be careful with the culture that's in, 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 entwined within it. A lot of it is spiritual darkness. I, I know people are maybe struggling to grasp what I'm saying, but I want to tell you, friends, the spirit of Manasseh is rampant. So this structure we can find out just from our studies that this is a tree because they would cut them down when the great reformation would take place and the good kings came in. They'd cut these trees down and burn them. So they were wooden structures. They were carved out into an image to the goddess Asherah. And she in particular is the goddess that would bring happiness and prosperity, fertility. She is the mother of all the gods. God explicitly, constantly was telling Israel not to worship any other God. Groves are mentioned. You look in the time of the judges when it was revival and right in the, in the depravity. In judges 3, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and they served Balaam and the groves. And you find this consistently that God is saying, I don't want you to worship any other God Nobody endorsed the worship of groves and established this worship more than anyone else outside of Manasseh than a man called Ahab. Ahab and his wife who was called Jezebel. Now that's another message about Jezebel and the spirit of Jezebel that is rampant again, even amongst, particularly amongst the church. It speaks of people that cannot be submitted to authority or in any way can they bring themselves in, in under and submit to one another. They, they're right. They're in charge. They're above everything. They're not accountable to anyone. And often, I don't mean this in the wrong way, but I'm going to say it. Often you'll find them in groups of women. But it's not exclusively the groups of women. It can be groups of men. But you often find it that there is no submission to male authority as the Bible teaches. I know it's against the grain. I know it's against the culture, but I'm not part of that culture. I'm part of this culture. Oh, but you're different. Yes, I am different. So he refers to Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Second Kings chapter 21, if we just look at it again. He reared up altars for Baal. This is verse 3. He made a grove as did Ahab, king of Israel. We find, if we go back to it, there's a, an amazing encounter between Ahab and a man, a prophet of the Lord called Elijah. We're living in a day where the spirit of Manasseh is rampant. I'm going to come to tell you what I believe that the grove is that's in the house of God. I want to tell you, first of all, that the answer how to overcome the groves and the prophets of the groves. If you turn back to 1 Kings chapter 18, 
There's this encounter between Ahab and Elijah. 1 Kings 18 and verse 18. And now Ahab is, he is the one that's being accused of troubling Israel. You're the troublemaker, Brent. It's not us. You're the one that's stirring the nest and getting into the cities and into the back streets and into the towns. You're causing trouble. No, you're not the one causing trouble. It's your sin that's caused the trouble. It's that you've departed from God. That's causing the trouble. It's because you won't walk with Jesus. That's the trouble. It's because you won't give your heart and your all to Jesus Christ. That's causing the trouble. Not the preacher, not the word of God, and not Jesus. In 1 Kings 18 and verse 18, he's accused of troubling Israel. And Elijah answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and your father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. The trouble in the church today, friends, is because the church has been seduced, not totally, but largely has been seduced with doctrines of devils and seducing spirits to cause them to depart from the faith. There is a mass departure from the faith. I'm not saying the churches don't function. I'm not saying that they don't meet together. I'm not saying that they might be big or might be small. It doesn't really matter about the size. What I'm saying is that there is a mass departure from the faith. From the ancient landmarks. From the old past. And you have followed Balaam. Now therefore, here's the answer. Now therefore send and gather me all Israel unto Mount Carmel. And what does he say? And the prophets of Baal 450. And Elijah says, and by the way, would you make sure you bring the prophets of the groves 400 and they sit at Jezebel's table. They had a privileged place at the table of Jezebel. Jezebel particularly wanted these prophets at her table the prophets of the grove what was the grove it was the place of happiness and prosperity keep it all light don't preach sin don't preach the cross don't preach heaven don't preach hell what's spreading across the church of jesus christ is that there is no hell it is a doctrine of the devil there is no consequence to your sin there is nothing. You can just come if you want to be a Christian. No problem. If you don't, don't worry about it because God loves you anyway. And the only way to overcome the prophets of the grove that have filled the pulpits in the Western civilization and the churches, they are the prophets of the groves. They do not preach the cross. They do not preach heaven and hell. They do not preach the blood. They do not preach the full counsel of God. They preach prosperity, happiness, health and wealth and all is well. Just join us. We'll entertain you. What do you want? We'll make it any way you, as long as you feel happy. We don't want anyone leaving disturbed or, dis, or not comfortable. We want everyone feeling that they're all lifted up and they're all happy. A psychological gospel that makes them feel good. And come next Sunday. It's going to be better. It's going to be bigger. Because we're changing things to make, it a, to, make, to make it more comfortable for you to come. More acceptable for your palate. There's no cross. There's no death. There's no denying of yourself. There's nothing to give up. There's nothing. Just come and have Jesus. But have everything else. These are the prophets of the groves that have filled their pulpits in this country. Now what is the answer to all of this? Elijah says, I'm going to meet you on that mountain. And you bring the prophets of Baal 450, but you make sure you bring the prophets of the groves 400 that sit at the table of Jezebel. Because I have an answer for all of this. Glory to God, there's an answer. There's the power of the Holy Ghost and the power of the cross. Oh, that, that sounds like something we hear regularly. It is something you hear regularly and it's something you'll continually hear regularly. It's the power of the cross and the power of the Holy Ghost. Bring your false teachers. Bring your gospel with no cross. Bring your tickling words and your prophetic nonsense. Bring it all. 
But friends, there's an answer in this world. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. It's the spirit of Elijah standing on a mountain. One man with God as a majority. That is why Elisha, that is why Elisha wanted a double portion. That is why he's seen the reality of the power of God. That is why this younger man who burnt his ploy and said, I want what you have, but not just what you have. I want a double portion. I want the reality of the Holy Ghost. I want the power of the Spirit of God. And he took up that mantle that fell from Elijah. And he stood on the banks and he says, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he smit the waters. There's an action. There's a deliverance. There's a demonstration. And the waters opened. And the prophet said, The Spirit of Elijah does rest on Elisha. That's the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost that was on Elijah was the same Holy Ghost that was on Elisha. And the Holy Ghost that was on Jesus when he came up out of the waters at his baptism is the same Holy Ghost that was on the 120 in an upper room. And it's the same Holy Ghost today, friends, that will overcome the prophets of the grove. They put a grove in the house of the Lord. Where his name was. Where is his name? Where the twos or threes are gathered. What did Jesus say? In my name. Where there's the gathering of the people of God. In the name of Jesus Christ. If they say we're Christians. We're gathered in the name of the Lord. But friends I want to tell you the tragedy is. The tragedy is that we have. The groves in the house of God. Where his name should be. And honored and lifted up. God explicitly told Moses in Deuteronomy 16 and 21, Thou shalt not plant thee a grove of any trees near unto the altar of thy God, which thou shalt make. You cannot plant anything else round that altar. The powerless that we see today is because in the house, but more particularly in the hearts of many believers, what is not planted there or what should be planted there is the cross of Jesus Christ and the cross alone. But what we've done is we've carved out a grove that keeps us happy, that keeps us prosperous, that keeps us comfortable, that doesn't rock our boat, that doesn't boot us out in any way, that there's no cost. And it's another gospel. The powerlessness that we're seeing Friends, it's because the grove that we have brought into the house of God is that we have a distortion of who God is. We have created a God in our own imagination, but not a God of this book. In Christendom, where his name is, we have put a grove in the house of God. We have made up of our own God, of our own imagination. And the reality is the consequences of the spirit and the sins of Manasseh are now manifested in our nation. We are seeing the fruit of it now. Not in the days ahead. We will see more of that. But the fruit of the spirit and the sins of Manasseh are now evident. We have made a gospel to suit us. We have created a God that works in with our lifestyle and what we want to do and how we want to live and where we want to go. The Bible says that the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness, but to us that are saved, it's the power of God. The reason why we're powerless is because we have a grove in our heart and in the church of Jesus Christ, we have created a God of our own imagination. You read of Moses and his cry. If you turn back to Exodus chapter 34, his cry was to know God. Lord, I want to know and see and taste and feel your glory and your power. In Exodus 34 and verse 5, we see that the Lord descended in a cloud and, dis and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by him and the Lord proclaimed the Lord as Jehovah the Lord, the Lord God. And then he reveals himself to Moses. What does he say? I'm merciful. 
I'm gracious. I'm long-suffering. Moses, I'm abundant in goodness and truth. I keep mercy for thousands. I forgive the iniquity and the transgression and the sin, but I will by no means clear the guilty. I'll visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, unto the third and the fourth generation. God's saying there's a consequence for sin. We probably stop in the modern gospel at verse 6. Maybe a little bit of verse 7. But we'll stop there because we don't believe anymore that he's a God of divine justice. He's not a God who is righteous, who is a thrice holy God, and who will punish sin. Luther called these verses the sermons of the name of the Lord. God is love. Praise God. God is merciful. God is gracious. God is long-suffering. God is abundant in goodness. But I want to tell you something. God is holy. I'm going to say it again. God is holy. He's a holy God. He's a God in truth and righteousness and just. There is no one like God. But the modern gospel, the grove that's been brought into the house is, God is love. God just loves you. Yes, God does love you. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is slow to anger. God's so merciful to God wants to save you. He does. But it stops there. There's a consequence if you reject God. But the modern grove, prophets of the grove, don't preach that. Everything's fine. You'll be okay. Come to church and go out again. Do your thing. Hang your hat on a Sunday. Live whatever way you want. I want to tell your friends, it's a narrow way. And the way that leads home is the cross. Modern Christendom and the prophets of the groves have created a gospel that has filled the church with people that are never born again. They're either steeped in dead religion or they're absolutely caught up in modern fizz and bubble. You can live whatever way you want. You're old-fashioned. You're old-fashioned if you see the world for the world. The world, the flesh, and the devil, the trinity of evil against the believer that we are overcomers through Christ but you're old fashioned if you preach about the world about separation actually you're not just old fashioned you're a legalist let me tell you friends the spirit of Manasseh has swept the nation but not only the nation it swept the church you see it's truth that makes a man free The word was flesh that dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as the glory of only the begotten of the Father. He's full of grace, but he's, listen carefully, friends, he's full of truth. Truth. Prophet says, the Lord is slow to anger. He's great in power, but will not at all acquit the wicked. The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and in the storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Listen, brothers and sisters, there's a consequence, as we read here, for the sins that our nation are being led by our leaders into, that are being manifested, and the fruit of them, and the fruit will still be to come if the Lord tarries. I want to tell you, friends, we are being plunged in by the leaders of this nation, and also by church leaders, we're being led into the depths of seductive spirits and doctrines of devils. And the consequences of it will be in our children and our children's children. Oh, listen. A few years I'm out of here. No, friends. I want to make sure. I want to make sure that as many of our children and as the Lord tarries our children's children will know what it is to walk that highway of holiness that's going to take them on home to glory. You see, there's consequences to what we're seeing. You're hearing these men, health minister and all the rest of it, and you see all the infiltration in our education system and the demonic spirits that are coming in from the Eastern. I know, friends, this is like gobbledygook to most of the world, but it's the truth of God. 
And what do we do? I tell you what we do. We need to get an old-fashioned baptism in the Holy Ghost that overcomes the prophets of the grove. God's not looking for you to go to Bible school. That may be all right for some, but I want to tell you something, what you need more than anything else, and probably I couldn't recommend the Bible school at the minute because of the doctrines that they're teaching, but a baptism in the Holy Ghost, just the God of Elijah, filling every life in this room with the power of the Holy Ghost and living for Jesus Christ. I want to tell you, you'll overcome the prophets of Baal. You'll overcome the prophets of the groves. You'll overcome the Jezebel and the Ahabs and everything else. You'll live for Jesus Christ and you'll be an overcomer. We're in perilous times because the Bible told us that's what it will be. We're living in perilous times. The consequences, it's the consequences of sin. God will visit the iniquities of the fathers on the children and the children's children. What's the answer in all of that? What's the hope? I'll tell you what the hope is. The blood of Jesus Christ. When a man's saved. Sadly today we have a decision making and a decision driven function within the gospel that has left so many that have made a decision. Some come here on Sunday nights and people have led them to say the sinner's prayer, brought them down to the waters of baptism and they've never been born again. I want to tell you something, that is a frightening thing. That is a frightening thing. Not by any of our men, I can tell you that are our ladies, but I want to tell you it's a frightening thing. The witness of the Holy Ghost, the discerning of the Spirit, the born again experience if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature and old things pass away and behold, all things become new. That is the born again experience. We are telling people they are prophets of the grove. Just accept Jesus, but you do not have to leave your sin. No repentance. But the prophets of the groves will be accountable. Brothers and sisters, I know it's straight but it's just the way I received it. And it's the way I need to give it. We are not here to be popular. We're not here to fill the room. We're not here to fill the seats. We were here with six or seven people 16 years ago. It's no problem for me to preach to six or seven people in the years to come. I'm thankful for everyone that's come, but I'm not here to be popular. We're here to preach the gospel. And any preacher that comes here and our preachers that we have, they're the same. We need the power of the Holy Ghost. Elisha said, I'm going to burn this plow because I want what he has. Pull every idol down, friend. Pull every idol down. I shall have no other gods before me. You come to the cross and you live for Christ, but live it through the power of the cross and he'll give you the Holy Ghost to do it. He'll give you the Holy Ghost to do it. The sin of Manasseh. The sin of Manasseh has swept our nation. I want to talk about something next week, and that is the reviving power of a humble spirit. Father, this morning we just come, we ask, Lord, that you would take every word that's not from you, and Lord, it would fall to the ground, it would die. It's nothing, it's just the words of men. But Lord, every word that has come from your throne, I pray that you would use it and penetrate it into our hearts today. Lord, would you fill these lives with the power of the Holy Ghost? Would you reveal by your Spirit every idol that's in our lives, that's in our hearts? Lord, I pray, Lord, that there would be a great humbling of ourselves before you, that the great power of Almighty God may have free course to move in this room. Lord, we're asking, Lord, for the reality of the power of your cross to be so evident in our lives and the power of the Holy Ghost to be upon us as your people. Lord, not to be mean, but to live an overcoming life in a wicked day. Lord, I pray that you'd have mercy on our leaders, 
that are leading us into desperate wickedness. The wickedness of Manasseh. The shedding of innocent blood. Lord, what is infiltrating our schools, our national health services. Lord, the spirits that are arrayed around us, we thank you that you have given us your spirit to overcome in these days. Lord, it's not by our strength, it's by your Holy Ghost. We stand like Elisha and simply say, oh, may the God of Elijah, Lord, may you come, would you fill us all, would you part the waters, and may we go across into everything that you have for us. Lord, I pray for every head bowed in your presence. Lord, even those that are not saved, those that have a name that they're saved, but they're dead. There's no life lived for you. There's nothing more perhaps than just a Sunday service. Oh God, forgive us, Lord, for making it so cheap. Lord, for bringing it down to such a level, Lord, for creating our own God and our own imagination. God, I pray, Lord, speak to our hearts today. Lord, speak to us in the quiet place. Deal with our hearts, Lord, that every idol would be destroyed, that we would serve this one and true and living God. Why? Because he's worthy. He is worthy. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together this morning.